0: three is something that i i definitely subscribe to and it's literally one of my like mo's every hunt needs to have a purpose like we said in vet school man c's get degrees
1: (laughs) (laughs) that is true hi and welcome to deer iq where smart hunting begins i'm adam lewis outdoor writer educator and deer iq podcast host And in this episode, I'm going to be with Dr. Clint McCoy for part two with him as we continue our series, Private Land When You're King, or when you have control, what are moves you can make to really up your success and quality of your hunts. This series will be helpful if you hunt any private land, whether that be by permission or lease or even own it yourself and aren't totally satisfied with your results. As we start, I want to challenge you to do a couple of things. First, download our free journal to use with the podcast. That's really going to help. Second, as you do that, here are the top look fors or things to really look for during this episode. What are Clint's top two strategies he thinks are vital for hunters to focus on for private land hunting that many times uh, we do not or don't do well enough? What are buck profiles and what should you look for when making a buck profile? And how should you use them to seal the deal on bucks or at least increase your chances? And what are his top three tips to not overlook to get the most out of your private land setups? And there's a lot more in there too, those are just a few. And also we reveal Clint's Deer IQ test score which you can also take and compare yourself to him. Now one challenge, just one at the end that I believe will really help you out. So make sure to stay and listen for that. And now let's get to the podcast and up your dear IQ All right, I'm back here with Dr. Clint McCoy. He's a vet. He's an outdoor writer and he's a uh, big buck slayer here. And in segment one, we talked about just some general approaches to private land. We're uh, talking about, When you're king or when you have control of private land, uh, what do you do? And we talked in that segment about just some ways you can actually get and keep permission on private properties. As you know, most deer are taken on private, uh, let alone, you know, I know public is really popular, but private is statistically the place to be. And so we're looking at tactics for that. And we're going to get into some specifics here Uh, with Clint about his tactics on private land so let's just jump right in Uh, first what's your specific approach to private land hunting Uh, a strategy to be successful you know year after year what are your like I guess top couple strategies that you really like and can you
0: explain these a little bit yeah um I try and specialize in um identifying target bucks and the over the last um 10 years i've killed at least one specific target buck intentionally if not both tags and it's an arduous task to try and follow a deer for 12 months and seems really unrewarding but it's sometimes it can but when, when you can look up the wall and see, I got that one on video, myself, that one, that one, that one, and I did it on purpose, that's what really, really drives me. You know, anybody can go out and shoot 130-inch or during the heart of the rut. I'm not interested in that. I used to do that. Now I want to identify a target, match wits with him, and oftentimes for me, the chick the, the chase is more important to me than the take because i've gotten beat by several bucks and they've taught me a lot of lessons and made me better
1: yeah i think there's a uh, I think a lot of guys could identify with this there's uh, a progression over time and, and it doesn't mean that you will go through this but a lot of guys do where they just you know when they're younger or just getting into hunting it's just about can i shoot something right and then as they get a little more picky, it's about, you know, shooting, shooting a certain age structure maybe, um, and then it progresses into kind of what you're saying there, where it's like, okay, a specific buck, I'm tracking, it's a, this is a dual, it's what it turns into, right? Um, what are some things, you mentioned 12 months out of the year, and uh, I think hardcore hunters get that, that it's a, uh, it never ends type thing. But can you describe, like, what do you do for 12 months uh, during the year? Because a lot of guys like, oh, hunting season's a month away. I'm going to start shooting my bow. Um, Then I'll hunt for a couple months, and then I'll put it up for eight months or whatever, right? Um, So what does this 12 months look
0: like for you? You know, if if I'm honest, it's more like 10 and a half, but it's always on my mind. So the reason I say 10 and a half, when turkey season's over, from middle of the spring to about the 4th of july it's deer season spelled with an a -A d-e-a-r season so i got to take care of the wife then but you're right so it's on a monthly to monthly basis you know i typically start my you know long-range glassing and observation on potential target buck sites um right around the, the 4th of july weekend Um, that's my like target date. Uh, I do like to try and have all a majority of my trail cameras put in place. Um, you know, by the, the 10th to the 15th of July. Um, and just let them, let them soak, let them sit. Uh, I don't necessarily need all the data. Like what's the point of going and checking a camera card on a reliable camera, um, in, august 1st on august 1st when you're not going to be able to do anything with the data until october anyway like uh trail cameras can be your helper but they can also hurt you um but uh, anyway uh, july and august are typically trail camera and long range observation sits in the evenings um we're shooting through the summer i always pick up my bow about um, veterans day or excuse me, Memorial Day, and just start working the kinks out, getting my gear ready. Um, but uh, when it comes to September, it's my least favorite month. Um, everybody's in the shift, farmers are in the fields, things get like so wonky after you've been watching them for three, three months. And I just try and turn my back to from the woods there, and then I really focus on shoring up my gear um shooting broadheads for the whole month uh and getting those things dialed into the letter and then we're off to the races in October.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Um so you're you're starting to pattern these bucks, right? You're you're trying to pattern them all year long because you go after a singular buck or bucks. I'm guessing you have multiple on different properties and different things. Um as you do that, you know, and and you are in control i know you hunt with other guys and that was mentioned in segment one there's other people that hunt these properties with you uh, or at least most of them um what do you look for and what are you trying to set up as far as turning things to your advantage you know and taking advantage of that i guess that power you have that um private land brings and what's, what are some setups that you really look for and are trying to create on private land uh, to work that to your advantage, I guess?
0: it Yeah, it boils down to a few things. Mobility, certainly mobility. In the last five to seven years, I've really upped my mobile hunting game. Thrown in some saddles, got, you know, a, a bee stand and sticks and, and like combining stationary pre-hung in high value target areas, um, but also freelancing it, going and experimenting it with this hollow or, or, or this ridge top with the saddle or, or a mobile set <clears throat> and being, being mobile is absolutely number one priority for me around here. You don't always have to go public to go mobile. And I can't tell you, how many tree stands I see when I'm out shed hunting in the wintertime and scouting that have been there for, since I was in high school, you know, like nobody ever moves them. Right. And so if you want the element of surprise, it would stand to reason and rational mind, the more mobile you are and the different looks that you give him the better off you're going to be.
1: Yeah, there's this whole. We could probably have several podcasts on the idea of uh, the first sit, you know, phenomenon. And I've written articles about it. You know, the called the art of the first sit. And uh, there's just something about it. You know, the, the first time in somewhere, you have the best chance. And so, why not create more first sit opportunities? The any way you can do that where you hunt. And yeah, mobile. Mobile on private, you know, a lot of guys just have the same spots, and I don't know if there's any data behind this idea. And I, I think maybe you have mentioned it before somewhere from my memory, but these stands that are in the same spots year after year after year, they can be great spots, but they also can deer kind of learn those spots and Absolutely. associations, and even can pass that along potentially to other deer, to fawns and things. Again, I don't have
0: data for that, but to me it makes sense. Yeah, it, you can, look, dogs learn, and no one's out to kill a dog, right? Think about it. We can train a dog to shake hands, roll over, and play dead, and he does it on command because he gets rewarded, right? Um, these deer are the same way but they're a prey species it would stand to reason that a prey species can learn otherwise they would be extinct right yeah it it, it it's, it's just simple zoologic science so i think the whitetail is a classic example of of the, the perfect survivor you know what i mean and, and they, they can do some some tremendous tremendous things uh, with their with their bodies but uh, at any rate, you know <clears throat> whether whether we're treating and, and talking about dogs or, or deer, um, the, the fact of the matter is these things are hardy animals and you need to give them the respect that they deserve, especially with um, trying to work up your your setups yeah
1: what are some uh so you, you go mobile a lot you mentioned mm-hmm. uh a number two there what was number two on your your strategies and we can dig into those a little further maybe
0: yeah so number two is definitely hunt when it's right and by right i mean you've got the odds stacked in your favor now i don't i don't mean hunt when the weather's perfect that's not what i mean you might have be working on an October buck that you know he kind of moves on a light cold front, and the beans are still green. Move on it. Um, I, I think I think we can hang back a l- I think we can take that conservative approach way too often, and it cheats us out of experiences. So, so
1: how do you? yeah hunt when the odds are stacked in your favor and yeah um i've talked to other guys too and i've written on this i've uh experienced this a lot just knowing when the right time to strike is and a lot of times staying out is very hard to do and guys hunt too aggressively and they screw it up before the odds were actually stacked in their favor to get that one hunt which is your best chance right um, so what markers do you use or intel you, do you, you you use to tell you, okay, this is when the odds are stacked in my favor?
0: That's a deep question, but in order to answer that, you have to go back to your summer study of the individual. Did he give you any clues or any tells that might be a weakness you know does he travel through a certain fence row or is he always the first one on the field or is he always by himself and or is he aggressive or passive like lots of different factors there to put that that puzzle together and so your strategy needs to adapt based off of the profile that the buck that you're chasing like it's it's not a one size fits all every big buck behaves this way scenario, you know. Mm-hmm. I think whitetails are extremely individualized, just like human beings are. They have their own personalities, demeanors, sex drives, appetites, you name it. They're they're unique.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> you mentioned a buck profile building that it starts in the summer, you're do you keep notes on specific bucks? Like, do you name them? Do you keep specific notes on them? Yeah, uh,
0: sort of. Um, I typically have got a camera with me and or my phone scope with photos so I can shoot long range photos. And and what I like to do in the summer is if I've got a high value target that I really want, he's a holdover, you know, from last year. And if I know I'm going to get some soybeans there, I'm going to to brush in a couple of hides on something high where I can see, slip in on the e-bike well before dark, sweat it out, uh, and observe him until last light. Or just try and get a feel for how he moves and acts around other deer and just a lot of different variables there that's hard to measure, but personality traits
1: yeah it's like intimately getting to know the animal that you're trying to kill uh it sounds a little bit uh a little bit sadistic is on some level but it yeah knowing that individual deer so you can see any little crack i guess in the armor that you could potentially take advantage of because the personality is not going to change the season you know might change seasonal things happen and change but the buck still has the same personality right and yeah. so how can you take advantage of that other part times of the year uh, and from year to year too, right? Um, some guys just look at trail cameras and it's very much a right now thing, right? Um, but if a deer survives, what does that tell you the next year and the year after yeah. that type thing?
0: <clears throat> Those are the bucks that I really get to sinking my teeth into. Hi, this is Adam Lewis and this is your High IQ
1: Moment. So as we talk about private land, one thing that comes up is not wearing out your spot. You have private land and obviously want to use it, but hunting it too much can be counterproductive to your hunt quality. So what should you do? Well having options is your number one friend and having as many of them as possible is really important. If you don't have many places to hunt, consider ways to increase your hunting options, whether that be leasing, finding more permission, or adding public land to your hunting portfolio. Spreading your hunts out and around really decreases pressure and increases your chances on each hunt, which is a lot more fun and productive than wearing out one spot. So consider hunting less in each spot and doing that with more options to really improve your private land hunting. And if you're getting something out of this podcast, consider sharing it with a friend who may benefit and also commenting, liking, or reviewing, depending on where you're watching or listening. This really helps the podcast grow and is greatly appreciated. Okay, and now back to the podcast. What does that tell you the next year and the year after that type thing?
0: Those are the bucks that I really get to sink in my teeth into is you know are animals that either escaped us or you know weren't big enough to shoot or mature enough for us but you got a lot of data points on him and say you see him in the summer and he really blows up yeah guess where those cameras are going to go back in you know like they they do some repeatable stuff but but i will caution everyone that does not hold true for every mature buck it just doesn't. Um, the buck that I was chasing this past year, I devoted my entire season to him. The last two years, um, he's done the exact same thing despite the crop rotation. Last year, as soon as uh, first week of October rolled around, he vacated and never came back till New Year's Day. So, they they can throw you curveballs and decide to do other things you know but that that yearly pattern um repeatability is a thing but it's not foolproof is what where i'm getting at
1: yeah it's uh i think with any anything with whitetails and general you have these general rules and you're you're playing those odds right so sure if you can build a history or a profile of a certain buck and its characteristics and traits they will probably mm-hmm. follow that it is not guaranteed type thing but at least that is a place to start right that is really oh, yeah. good in really good intel and what else are you going to do just randomly pick a tree out in the woods type thing and I've noticed that myself like uh two years ago I shot a buck, and I actually shot him late season, but I knew, based on the previous year's trail cam data, where he was in the middle of the day, early November, and that's where I went the next year, and like clockwork, he came right in, and uh, I actually passed him, um, wound up shooting him later, but it, it he repeated, right, and yeah. so I, I knew that, so you, you start building this up, it's a really good,
0: at the minimum, a starting place. To help you. Yeah, um, and, and not only that, Adam, I think, uh, you know, if you're seeing a certain buck behavior or rut time, doe centric behavior in a certain area by one mature buck. And he does it for a couple of years and say he dies and or, or gets hit by a car, whatever. It always seems to me like that same trend with a mature buck happens in the same location you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it um it's like they've got all they need right in here and the best of the best want command of it and and it's 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 wild i have seen bucks move into dead bucks bedding areas you, you know as they mature and it's that those type of patterns can be repeatable as well.
1: That's yeah, that's very interesting. So not only is it good intel for that deer, it's for possibly other deer because like, if you think about deer, they're in this pecking order, right? And there's a dominant buck, there's subordinate bucks, all this stuff. And if, if the dominant one disappears, something's going to fill that, that vacuum, so to say, Um, it's going to be another buck right so yeah i i'm thinking of right now just um this particular bedding spot on a property in ohio where i hunt uh that always big bucks always go in bed on this one point of a ridge uh that's really thick it's a great you know spot for them they're really safe there they can see um it's almost bulletproof for them but it's an every year thing you know and so you know bucks move out of there while other ones are going to fill that that vacancy um, and so, yeah, it, it, it really helps year after year on a certain property. Right. Um, what are some things that you would say are, I guess, approaches for you that you like, or have found success in that are, you know, you talk about like a short game, you know, like this season or the, even a portion of a season approaches and then like long game we i think we've been kind of chatting about long game approaches here with data and getting to know a buck as far as his uh habits and personality and stuff and trying to get clues from that what about a short game stuff let's say one season or less what are some specific things with that that you've had success with
0: yeah so if you're um In my opinion, if you're a bow hunter and you've got two weeks vacation and say you don't know a whole lot about a a piece, um, the the very first thing I would try and and do is if you know you're going to take off in November, you damn sure better know where the doe's bed. So instead of worrying about where big bucks are, if you're strapped for time or trail cameras or resources or whatever, um, it's easy to it's easy to know where does bed just go kick them out you know you can do that in the winter and they're going to be there in the summer so if i would start with finding doe bedding and if i'm generally trying to hunt for a mature buck and i'm you know not real particular and don't have a quote-unquote target nailed down i'm hunting the downwind side of doe bedding right around a big scrape if i can find it on a bluebird day with a light but steady wind coming right out of that dough bedding yeah that per- perimeter dough bedding during the heart of the you know pre-rut and the rut is is dynamite
1: right um what about um let's say it's early season is there a short game strategy that you you like for like, let's say the first week
0: hate it <laughs> Swat mosquitoes, yeah. <laughs> sit back well, and watch.
1: Southern Illinois. No. Uh, so, yeah, it's pretty hot. And so I'm a Michigan, so it's a little different up mm-hmm. here. It's, it can be hot. Uh, yeah. There can be mosquitoes, but sometimes it's very getting more
0: fall-like probably than where you're at. Um, Truth be told, what I do is just go out and have some fun edge hunts. You know, um, on spots that you just don't, you know, you're not really harming it but I want them to be dual purpose. I want them, I want to be able to have a vantage point of something of higher value. If I'm going to go out there and sweat, swap mosquitoes and put pressure on the ground as an investment, then I ought to at least be trying to cover ground for where I think or know a mature buck hangs out. You know, it's, it's like a scout slash hunt, you know, um, but the first two weeks October, I, we all struggle. Everyone does. Um, they are they're killable. There, you just got to find the right. Um, if if I was going to hunt the first two weeks October only during the season, um, I, I would I would absolutely try and find the smallest tiniest patch of cover timber that you can. We're talking a postage stamp, right? Four acres, three acres and put it smack dab in the middle of the standing cornfield. If he's got a little water source around there, it's like a fortress of solitude, and you can use the cornrows to get in and out and and be pretty sneaky. So those are my October strategies, and I've had a little success then, but not a lot.
1: Yeah, I think a key point there that I'll just emphasize is the idea of, uh, you know, especially in private, uh, it's super important. Like you are usually your own worst enemy when it comes to your hunting spots and putting pressure on. And uh, I think pressure is the the biggest the biggest thing that kills hunts and hunting spots. Um, and so, yeah, with private, when you're in control of stuff, or, or you know, maybe it's you and a few other guys, but uh, compared to public, you have a lot more power and control over what's going on. Is not being your own worst enemy, and not busting in places before you should and putting that pressure on so the idea of yeah, these edge hunts where it's a low odds hunt, I mean something could happen right, but you're you're gathering intel as you do that you maybe you can see maybe you can you're glassing something uh field edge or something, or at least on the way in and out you're gathering intel, I don't know um scrapes or whatever you're 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 helping yourself towards your goal uh, as you do that but you're not messing yourself up
0: yeah we you know we call them burner sets you know just go to i'm just going to go to a burner and everybody knows what that means in family like we're just going to try you know no pressure type hunt
1: Um,
0: and what i will do like when i self-film if i'm on one of these you know, early October, semi-scout, semi-hunt endeavors, I will pack um, my spotting scope. And if I see something way off in the distance, I'll just swap my camera for the scope on the um, tree arm and use my phone scope to get way out there for it. Um, that's been real helpful. It's a lot more weight to pack with all that extra, but um, man, you can really get some, You can really get some good intel by doing that early season stuff. Everybody likes to say, oh, I never hunt until Halloween. It's hunting season, I can't help it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, and I think that's key is having spots you can burn that you don't care about that isn't messing up your best spots later in season. Right, Um, and one way I do that is public land. You know, like there's tons of spots I can go and just burn if I wanna just observe or just hunt, whatever. Um, and it kind of
0: knocks the rust off of you, you know. You get your systems all reconfigured, and you know the first two or three hunts of the year, it's like a yard sale, you know. <laughs> you know, it's you, you don't remember where this goes or which pocket that goes in, and but I, I think when you, you get and you haven't climbed a tree in a while, um, but these early October hunts are a good tune-up for when it gets deep and serious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I want to dig in and have, uh, you share a story about, you know, employing some of these things in Maybe a story about a buck that you've, uh, we've been talking about, like personally getting to know bucks on an individual level. Um, do you have a story you can tell that is kind of an example of how that data played out? hundred percent. You were able to use that.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. So I've got this video of the hunt for this deer uh on my YouTube channel. Um and it's just Deer Hunter DVM. Um Deer Hunter Delta Victor Mike. Um and so I was working on this buck that we called Son of Sam the year before, and he had was sporting kind of a squirrely, non typical rack, and I thought he might just be a four. Uh, But by the end of the year, his rack was just it was like a hand grenade went off by it, busted to pieces, sharp. He had scars up and down his neck and back. And uh, on some of my trail camera videos, he was even swatting at like fawns and such. Right. I'm like, man, that guy's got an attitude. (laughs) And so I encountered him in the summer and started putting my eyes on him and i would sit there in my hides with my spotter and he was acting the same way in the summer he would instead of hitting with horns of course because they're soft uh, this particular buck would go over and just bully a doe off of something he wanted to eat and he'd rear up and and strike her with front feet and i'm like and that guy is nothing but trouble he wants to he wants to beat up everybody
1: he's he's asking for it
0: (laughs) yeah so i had a really crummy hunt on on november 2nd in the deep timber for him beautiful night just didn't even see a single deer and out of frustration i'm like man i'm going to check these edge cameras and lo and behold he'd been there twice that day both in daylight so i put up a set in dark fiddling around in a junky walnut tree and uh, went back in. Like when I was hanging the stand in the dark, I put the decoy out in front of me in this big grass waterway thinking, well, let's try him. He likes to fight. It'll never work. Well, it worked. He came out of that corn and I was busy filming a stupid squirrel. And I turned my head and and he's standing there in this waterway. And my heart like to, to threw up in my throat, like, Um, so he comes into the fake, he walks around it with his ears pinned back twice and and I shot him a pinch quarter two. but he didn't go, I don't know, maybe 180 yards tops. I left him most of the day, but that is definitely an example of where if you think you know a buck's personality, um, even though you might even be encountering him on another farm or property, try to exploit it. And I ne- in a million years I never I don't want you everybody to think that I'm some kind of decoy wizard. I'm not. I've spooked more deer with a decoy than killed, but the the right deer has to see it and he has to be in the right mood. And and he certainly was. Yeah,
1: that's a good illustration too of knowing something about a buck that you wouldn't have known that if you wouldn't have done all that uh scouting, that watching, that intel gathering. Uh, and then trying to take advantage of that in season and and working out. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Any, uh, are there any stories, this might be a tough one, any stories of, let's say a failure where that taught you a, a big thing you mentioned, you know, we don't always get our target bucks. That's, that's super hard to do. Um, but what's one of those maybe, and what did it teach you, uh, that would be
0: very helpful to know? oh my gosh um so it still pains me to talk about to this day <laughs> i was maybe 25 then and i was really taken up with with hunting mature deer then you know um and we were that's back when we were still using 35 millimeter trail cameras like actual disposable or actual film rolls yeah yeah yeah. to take you so, in and get it <clears throat> developed I got some photos of a buck that was absolutely tremendous. The frame on him was tremendous and no kidding. It started giving me like butterflies in my stomach because I thought that thing's got kind of a Mel Johnson. like frame for real. Uh, And, and Mel Johnson in our state is the number one Pope and young state record. And, um, so then I really started bird dogging this deer and worked my tail off, trying to get him hung a stand in July for a December winter pattern from the year before first set time in the set. Here he comes and I'm, I'm falling apart and it's cold and I draw back. He's getting ready to jump a little woven wire fence and hop out into the field right in front of me to feed and it's icy and it's snowy. And you know how snow dampens sound, you know, um, makes everything ultra quiet. Yeah. He gets up there. I'm at full draw. He gets up to the fence and he stops and he's scanning the field, scanning the field. And the bow got to doing this, <laughs> you know, and I had to let down and I know more than let down. And he jumped over the fence, trotted out, sucked it back. Shot right over his back. Moral of the story, take your time. I rushed. I couldn't control my emotions then, and I rushed that shot. I should have been more cognizant of how much distance he traveled from fence jump to shot sight, and Mm -hmm. I saw that luminot go right over his back, right? So it gets worse. (laughs) So... The neighbor actually found that deer dead that following spring. It'd been hit by a car in the winter. It was in a little drainage ditch um, right off a, a blacktop. And so I asked him if I could score it and it scored as a typical. It scored one ninety five and six eights. Oh, wow. That's flirting with upper echelon territory. And that's one I'll never forgive myself for
1: yeah and uh <laughs> i mean that that's a hard one too, and the idea of yeah the uh, preparation you know just uh preparing so much uh and I've talked to other guys about this and um that it's it's, it's hard to replicate that, but preparing so much and being able to control your emotions your heart rate and really focus uh it's a very hard thing to do and if you think you can just go out there and do it you know without a lot of preparation and practice and having mental uh mental i guess checklists and things that you or you just automatize it uh if you start thinking it it is very difficult to pull that off and i think we've all been there though on some level but I can't Absolutely. say that I've done that with a 195, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, when I found out the final tally, I, w- I was like... And you know how you see these guys on TV and they're like, I think I'm going to be sick when they miss a big one? Yeah. It's true, huh? It's It is a real thing. <laughs> I've confirmed it.
1: <laughs> well, my condolences, but I think that was quite a few years ago, so you've at least...
0: Le- uh, lessons learned, man. You just yeah. got to lick your wounds and go on. <laughs>
1: Awesome. Well, as we wrap up this segment, Clint, um, talking about private land setups and uh, strategies, mindsets, and different things, what are, like I guess, your top two or three things that you could just summarize or maybe we didn't even mention that you would tell the hunters of how to really take ownership of their private land hunting and setups and get the most out of them?
0: Um, First and foremost, with public ground, if you've got access to it, put the work in, not just October, November, put the work in. If you put the work in year round, you will be successful every year, period. Um, so work work ethic, cultivate your dear work ethic. Um, a lot of time wasted in the summer, or I shouldn't say wasted, but Summer burns a lot of hunter's time with family and, and golfing and other hobbies and stuff like that. But this isn't a hobby for me. This is kind of a way of, of existence. So, you know, devote your work ethic to it. Um, and number two, um, study. Self-study. It, it's so important, um, understanding anatomy and physiology and, and shot placement and broadhead selection and, and all kinds of stuff. We've got the world at our fingertips now with, with our, our smart devices. And years ago when I was subscribing to North American Whitetail, I used to have to cut the articles out of the magazine that I thought were like, man, and put hole punches in them and put them in a binder Everything's easy access now, so always be a student of the game. Always, and mm-hmm. and number three is something that I, I definitely subscribe to, and it's literally one of my like mOs. Um, every hunt needs to have a purpose. Every hunt needs to have a purpose. Am I going here to get a scout mission and maybe a look at him? Am I hunting around his bed? Am I hunting doe bedding in the right time of year? Everything needs to be pragmatic with a purpose. Um, And if you, instead of going and hoping for a deer, go and impose your will, you know, but do it purposefully.
1: I think there's some great tips and I'll, I'll just comment on them. Yeah. Those are really ones guys should reflect on because uh, work ethic matters and not everybody's gonna be me as gung- ho as you or me um, and priorities uh, making sure those are correct is important, but yeah, putting in the work ethic if you expect to get something out of it you you really need to put in the work ethic you, yeah. you can't just you can't just listen to a podcast or do this or that or the other. There's work above and beyond that, but st- the study part is super important too, and I think that is a huge one that guys don't realize. Uh, Maybe some of the older guys like us now getting uh, some age on us, uh, that is a difference between that and the kids coming in now where they don't realize, and I don't think people realize just how important it is, like actually study, and then you made this journal or this clippings-type thing. Uh, That adds to your knowledge more than people understand. And we have actually we have a journal that people can download. And I'll just mention this here to go with the podcast because the physically writing stuff out, thinking about it, reflecting on it, trying to, you know, figure out why's and what's of certain scenarios and your own specific things. And and doing that in a journal is a is a huge, huge game changer and will really streamline that. It'll make it so much faster. Uh, You'll get gains so much quicker if you can discipline yourself to do that. Um and then yeah, every hunt needs a purpose. I I wholeheartedly agree with that and maybe guys can relate to this, you know, going out sometimes and like you know in your gut, you don't it isn't going to be a good hunt. Like you don't have enough information. and enough, It never it, is, is it? It never is. Like you usually <laughs> you usually don't get lucky. And so I think a lot of guys lean on luck too much. Yeah. Like when you go out i want to know i have a good chance yeah based on things or know why i'm going out maybe it is just to gather intel like you talked about earlier this is more of an observation hunt but there's a purpose to it right yeah i think those are great ones to kind of end uh this episode with so before we go though um there's a deer iq test we have on our website and clint took it earlier um, and so we want to reveal the score and he doesn't know his score yet either. Uh, it's a 10 question test or quiz. It's challenging. Uh, most of the guests right. have taken it. it. Is. Yeah. And if I took it, I've said this before, I'd probably get a, a, you know, five or six out of 10, you know, it's, it's challenging to it. And I, I put it together. So, um, so you got, let me look here. You got a seven out of ten
0: what
1: seven out of that's, ten
0: that's pathetic
1: actually it is i can tell you later the ones you missed but uh some of them are pretty tricky uh questions so that's I actually i want to know them right good. this
0: minute 70 like we said in vet school man c's get degrees <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is true well let me let me just end this here and we can continue chatting so all right if you haven't taken that Go I hate online. being wrong you can, you can take it <laughs> and see how you did compared to Clint but Clint thanks for coming on and sharing uh, I think guys will get a lot out of our talk here today
0: yeah thanks a lot guys appreciate you guys having me and it's been a lot of fun pick up uh, North American Whitetail Magazine and, and follow me on uh, YouTube at Deer Hunter DVM. that'd be great alright as we wrap up here are
1: some key high IQ takeaways and challenges or just one if you have not started journaling, I highly encourage you to do so and journal about this one thing. How can you make each hunt a hunt with purpose? At each time in the season, every time you go out, what is your purpose? What should it be? And how can you hunt with greater purpose each time you go out? And next time we'll continue our Private Land series with a new guest, Ty Easley from Heartland Bow Hunter. You've probably seen him on TV. He consistently shoots really old bucks. How does he do it? Well, find out for yourself on the next episode of Beer IQ, and I'll see you then.